Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beth's Bookshelf. Today's episode is an exciting one because I have a very special guest with me. It's Ava Delara, author of Love Letters to the Dead. Now, I read Love Letters when it first came out, and like everybody else around me, it seemed, I fell in love with it. Ava is also a screenwriter and is currently writing another novel. Today, she's on the podcast to talk about her creative routine, how to write about topics that are quite personal to you, and how portrayals of certain messages can change through different formats. So I hope you like this episode, this was really fun to record and Ava shares lots of writing advice. Here we go! Thank you so much for doing this with me, I was really excited to talk to you today. Oh, it's my pleasure. (laughs) So, I thought we'd talk about Love Letters to the Dead, of course. I, I actually read it quite a few years ago. Uh, I think when it first came out, was that maybe, is it 2013 when it came out? Was it older Um, than that? 2014. Oh, it's newer than that. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I I remember when it came out and I'd scroll through Instagram and just see endless photos of it, reviews of it, people making YouTube videos about it. It was absolutely everywhere. Like, you couldn't avoid Love Letters when it first came out. <laughs> uh, what What do you think it was about Love Letters to the Dead that resonated with so many people and you managed to build that audience? Wow, that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't know that I actually know the answer to that myself. Um, it was a book that felt really personal to me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so when I was writing it, I was, I mean, it was so much um, sort of me alone with the characters and this story that I felt like I had to get out. And I really didn't know if anyone else was ever going to even read it. <laughs> um, and I think in some ways that elude, that feeling allowed me to be um, really honest in the writing. Um, it kind of gave me courage to, you know, face some difficult things. And um, I did, of course, hope that one day it would become a novel um, that might reach someone somewhere in the world that it could mean something to, but I didn't, you know, it 
it really blew my mind the way that people embraced it. And um, those kinds of things, I feel like, are almost, it's like it's bigger, it's not about, it's bigger than me, it's like it's something in the air or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, um, I know but I think also the popular culture references, um, you know, the since she writes to musicians and actors, um, I think that that was certainly a draw, um, at least, you know, in part for some readers. Um, one of the things that I, you know, I've always kind of been interested in popular culture and the way that it can um, tie us to something that feels bigger than ourselves um, or provide a kind of sense of belonging in some way. I sort of think of it like when you hear your favorite song and in some ways it feels like that song was written like just for you, like it totally understands you. Yeah. And in other ways, you know that there are all of these other people in the world listening to that same song, maybe even at the same moment. And so it sort of um, also connects you, I guess, in a way. And I, and I wonder if, you know, part of the appeal of the book was that kind of connection to um, some of the music and um, writing and movies of the people that, that Laurel um, reaches out to in the book. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading reviews last night and today on your on the Goodreads page for the book and people were mm -hmm. saying things like I really liked it because I related to the protagonist and the themes in the book so I'm not sure if people would enjoy it if not and I was thinking myself well actually my life has nothing to do with what's going on with the main characters but I think it was a lot of the pop culture references that did it for me because I, yeah, yeah, I was about to say to you, it contains like letters to people like Kurt Cobain and Judy Garland and Amelia Earhart. Uh, are they all people that you admire or idolise in your own life, or was it just writing love letters to the dead? Um, no, they well, to different degrees, but they were all people who had meant something to me in my own life, yes, for sure. Um Kurt Cobain was the first letter that I wrote when I got the idea for the book. And he, um, when I was younger, um, right around the time I started middle school, when I was first becoming a teenager, uh, it was this, in utero, it was the second CD I ever bought right after um, Mariah Carey. <laughs> so I made this kind of... <laughs> Two very different artists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there was something about that time of, I don't know, being thrown into the world of being a teenager that felt like exciting and terrifying. And like, I was feeling things that were so much bigger than I had words for or that I could understand. And I, Kurt Cobain's voice and Nirvana's music sort of, um, I don't know, it felt like it gave voice to the things that I couldn't quite yet. So I definitely, he meant a lot to me. Um, and so did a lot of the other, um, a lot of the other, I mean, really all of the other people that Laurel writes to in some degree. A lot of them I learned more about as I was researching and writing the book. But um, I started with some sort of, with a certain love for, for each of them. When uh, you're reading it, you can tell that there's such a huge 
injection of the writer's personality that has gone into it. Your personality, rather. <laughs> Thank you. What was it like writing about the theme of death? So now a lot of writers say they'd like to write about certain experiences and topics and stuff, but then when they get down to it and they're at their desk and they're typing it, it becomes too difficult or too sad, so they end up writing about something a little easier to strain on themselves. Mm-hmm. Were there times where it was really difficult for you to write about death? Um, it was. I'd lost my mom a couple of years before I started the book, so I was very much still. It was a sudden death, and um, I was incredibly close to her. She was my favorite person, um, and so I was very much still grieving that loss um, as I was writing. And, I mean, of course, yes, it was difficult, but I think that it was also cathartic in a lot of ways. Um, you know, just like, I think, just like writing her letters helped Laurel to heal, writing the book did something similar for me. Yeah. Um, it's not like you finish and then, it's not like I finished the book and then like, oh, the grief is gone, it's better. <laughs> but I think what happened for me during that process was that I learned that it was something I could live with. And I learned, um, I don't know, the kind of lesson that Laurel does in the book that, you know, we can be the author of our own stories. And um, there were certainly, you know, lots of, it was certainly like an emotional journey for me, I think, to, to write it. And there were, you know, many scenes or moments that were, that were really difficult to get onto the page or that even kind of came up by surprise that I hadn't been expecting. Um, but I think as opposed to sort of keeping things contained um, within myself, which I think, you know, can be damaging for people emotionally in a lot of ways, this was a way to sort of start looking at those emotions and working with them and trying to be honest about them. Yeah. I can imagine it's a really emotional experience to write that a theme that's so personal to you and so current at the time you're writing it as well. But even like you said, once the book, once the draft's finished, it's not like it's just lifted. But it it must be a incredibly nice and growing thing to do to take something awful and turn it into something positive like even yeah. if the book was really sad because parts of it are like I don't know anyone who's read it and didn't cry but <laughs> it's helped a lot of people and it must be really satisfying for you to watch so many people write and say that it helped them and that it really resonated with them and stuff yeah, uh, I think especially that, um, especially um, hearing that it's, you know, hearing from people who have felt like the book has helped them um, has been, like, the most rewarding part of the whole experience and and has made me feel like, you know, yeah, like, there was a lot of pain and, like, there was... I don't know, it gave me a way to kind of do something with that pain or to create something, you know, positive in a sense. Yeah, that's what um, people say you should do, isn't it? Take pain and turn it into art. 
<laughs> I guess there's a chance I believe in that. <laughs> oh, it pulled off very well, trust me. It was a lovely read. It's strange as well because I never really read books like that either. I don't like books that are too sad. Like I avoided uh, The Fault in Our Stars like it was a plague and I've never read The Notebook or anything like that. I purely picked up your book because it it was stalking me on Instagram. It was everywhere. And I was like, actually, this is really sad, but I can handle it. Um, well, one thing I did want to ask you is what made you decide, I'm, I'm assuming you decided to write the book because of your experience. What mm-hmm. made you want to write it in the form of letters rather than a standard novel form? Um, I don't know. The idea came to me actually like that way. It was the title that I thought of first. Um, really? That's weird. Yeah. A lot of people say the title is the hardest part. The, I'm finishing my next book right now and the title is the hardest part on that one. I keep emailing my editor and being like, wait a minute, I don't like the title. Can we change it again? Uh, but for some reason with this one, that was that yeah that was what i thought of was the was love letters to the dead and i thought that it would be a book about a girl dealing with personal grief by writing to famous dead people and that was kind of what i knew um from the beginning so i couldn't really imagine the story without the letters in a way but i think that um part of what makes it important to the story is that it's so much about this girl who is um, trying to connect and I think that there's something you know about letters that are a great expression of that so whether or not um, anybody ever reads the letter that you're writing I think that there's a hope inherent in writing it or a belief that you could be heard I, I mean a letter is addressed to someone um, and I think that that activity for Laurel of writing to someone specific and of um kind of trying to create a connection, even if it's an imaginary connection between herself um, and this other person gives her a way of being in, in the outside world. Um, yeah. So I think that was like the way that she needed to tell her <laughs> particular story. I think it it's very possible it's, that it's the letters that makes the book so emotional as well. There's nothing more personal writing-wise than a letter, is there? Like, I remember when I was in school and you get taught to write letters when you're about 10 and you, you have to pick a celebrity in class and write them a letter. And I, <laughs> I, I would have either wrote mine to Kylie Minogue or J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I know they're very different people, but that's who I was obsessed with when I was 10. And even though they probably never read it, I still feel like I've spoke to them. <laughs> Yeah, that's so lovely. Yeah. <laughs> right, because you feel, yeah, you feel like this actual yeah. connection. Yeah. I, th- I suppose tweeting's the modern version of that. When you tweet someone saying you liked their song or book or something, even if they don't even like it, you still feel like you've told them and they know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're speaking to Yeah, I, li- I really liked that it was in the form of letters. Was the process of developing the plot and developing characters ever a challenge to do within a letter-based format? Um, somewhat. I think at some point 
you know, in earlier drafts, there was more repetition. I sort of treated each letter like, oh, she's starting this letter to this person and telling them about her life for the first time. Um, so uh, obviously that would uh, was tedious, I think, in some ways, or to read, or it made the book slower. So I sort of, yeah. Um, as I was, you know, I went with the conceit that that I think was true and realistic that she is addressing each person as if they are already part of her world in a way. Um, um, and kind of with the immediacy of whatever's happening for her um, in that moment or whatever she's thinking about in that moment or whatever memory she's going to versus a sort of, hi, let me tell you about myself. Um, for the first time to each new person. I know you did still sort of stick with a traditional storytelling novel format within the letters. Because some of the letters towards the middle of the book are a lot longer and you sort of get lost in the story, especially if you read it in a couple of days, <laughs> like <laughs> I did. And um, you almost forget that you're actually reading a letter because there's dialogue in it and you're talking about Skye and her other friends and what they've been doing and stuff. And then when the next letter starts, you're like, oh, yeah, I was in a letter. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Whereas there are others that are more directly to the person she's writing to, so it feels more obviously letter-like. But I imagine that it would be a little bit of a challenge but it's worth worth it because the letter's more personal. Balancing that definitely was a little bit of a challenge. Um, And I had, at the beginning, more different people that she wrote to than the ones that um, ended up in the final draft. Um, And eventually I kind of pared it down um, in order to focus on really create like creating the arcs with the people that she was writing to because it was really important to me that it felt like she had like there was a relationship there even if it was imaginary in a way but that she kind of went through an arc with with many of the people she was writing to in terms of her feelings about them and her understanding of them and that that could kind of parallel um where she was in her life and where she was in her kind of grieving process and in her ability to think about her sister. Yeah. But that, yeah, that part of, of things did take some, <laughs> did take many uh, stages of revision. And Yeah. And I imagine it's easier to show um, more of Laurel's personality and, her connection with the dead like, celebrities slash well-known people, if there's less of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. If you wanted more of them, you should have wrote it, like, this year after 2016 or so. <laughs> I know, God, I know. I <laughs> that, that after now. last year, you were like, why didn't I write it now? <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Um, but if I had... <laughs> Be a long book. <laughs> It would be a long book, yeah. <laughs> How do you find ideas and commit to them? And do your characters seem to lay out the plot for themselves? Or do you have an in-depth plan before you start writing, if one at all? Right. Um, 
you know, I think every writer is really different in that way. But for me, um, I will answer the second part of the question first. I, I don't start with an in-depth plan. I start with a kind of general idea and I find the story by writing and by listening to the characters. Um, and so I feel like I have to, as I write, I'm getting to know who these people are and what they have to say and what they're facing and what their lives look like. Um, and I may have a few ideas of plot points, um, but really it's much more of a process of discovery. Um, that I try to just allow myself to kind of get lost in without judgment and without thinking about like, is this writing good or bad? Or, you know, is this right or wrong? Or should this happen or shouldn't this happen? Which can sort of block the voices of the characters, I think, when like my own critical voice comes in too strongly. So I try to shut that off as much as I can um, in like a first draft phase. Yeah. And then... Yeah. You know, as a consequence, I have a very messy first draft that's sprawling and a lot of the writing is really bad. But but by the end, I feel like, you know, I know a lot more about who these people are and what happens within their story and what is important that needs to happen within the story. And I feel a kind of closeness. So then I can go back and um, start to outline and structure and map out the plot. Um once I kind of have the material, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, sometimes people tend to write a plot and then if their characters' personalities are really big or really different to one another's, they don't work together, so you have to change certain things about your first draft to see yeah, the characters. Yeah, I agree. I think even if you do start with a plan, you have to kind of be open to the idea that the characters might have a different idea, you know, a different thought about what happens within a scene. You don't um, get your own way, even if it's your own book. Yeah, <laughs> totally. With, I also do screenwriting, and with that, it's, like, much different. You start with, I start with a very clear... Oh, I didn't know you did screenwriting. Yeah, I did the screen... Well, I, I adapted this the book, Love Letters, and... Um, I have another project I'm working on, too. But um, with that, I kind of think, like, I think of writing a novel as, like, getting in the car and you really don't know where you're going. I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to drive and see what I end up with. You know, with the with screenwriting, you kind of have to have a clear map. Yeah. To begin with, because there are certain points you need to hit at certain, I don't know, it's just kind of like a different creative process for me, but... In terms of where I get the ideas, I, oh, you know, that's so, I don't know. I draw, I think, certainly from my personal experiences. Um. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Less so with my next book, but still at the same time. Like, it seems like the characters started as being farther away from me or from who I am personally or like my own life but then at the end I can I like completely identify with yeah. with um and and found that oh I was writing actually about something that was like very much um a part of me your personality think, seems to seep sneakily through everything that yeah <laughs> totally but I think people prefer that like if you write if you write if you read quite a few things by the same author you tend to get like you tend to think oh this is so them like <laughs> you get a sense of who someone is yeah yeah i find free writing like journaling um especially when i'm in between working on things or like not sure what i want to do i find that can be uh like really helpful in terms of generating ideas because maybe it's just an image that you start with or an idea of a character or a moment or a memory um, that can kind of come out by surprise when you're journaling and can like unfold into something bigger. Yeah. Free writing can be an odd experience, especially if you start with a keyword and then just write straight for 10 minutes and try not to take your pen off the page and you can start with like the word door and end up with, the scarf monkey at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great because you just are kind of following yeah. the, the halls of your mind in a way that you, you know, might not really sit down to and, like, be able to experience otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, We've sort of answered this one. Someone's asked if you stick religiously to your plan or if you change a lot while you write. So we we, we change a lot if you write if your characters don't like it, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I think I change. I think I definitely try to be as open as possible. And sometimes, you know, that means like throwing out a hundred pages of work or. Um, that kind of thing, and I try to um, 
really keep in mind that all the work that you're doing is important and it is part of the work of writing the story, even if it's not in the final draft, it kind of led you to the place that you needed to get to. I feel this question might be different for your book you're writing now than it would be for love letters. But do you have the reader in mind during your writing process or yourself? That's a good question. Um, yes, it's it's a little different, although... So in some way, even with, in some way with love letters, no, like I was saying, I didn't, and that I didn't know if anyone would ever even read it, and it was kind of very much... Um, me alone with it but in in another like on another part of my brain or in another level I think I did at the same time have this hope that this story that I was writing down would connect with somebody else or would be helpful to somebody else yeah Um, and with the new book of course it's a different scenario because you have a book and I had a publisher already and um, it was a little bit like harder for me to get started at first because I felt this sense of not wanting to let anybody down or, you know, anybody who'd read the first book, not wanting them to be disappointed. Um, yeah. Really wanting to do right by kind of by my readers. But, um, and that, that feeling doesn't go away. I still, you know, deeply want that. But in order to write, the book I had to just kind of manufacture this (laughs) this space in which it was only me alone with the story and allow myself to kind of uncover it and to let it sort of breathe and grow in its own way without it was a hard book to write the second book and there was a lot about it that was scary for me I think to face and I had to sort of just continually say like okay, I see those fears, I acknowledge them, and I'm going to put them aside now so that I can be with my story in this kind of um, way that gave me the space and the freedom to get to know the characters and imagine what it could become. Yeah. Did you work more one-on-one, more closely with the editor slash publisher of the second book than you did with the first then? Um, not really. My editor came into the process a little bit earlier on. Um, I guess in, in that with love letters, you know, I had a lot of test readers and friends first, and then my agent worked on it with me. And then, you know, I went through more rewrites, I guess, before it went to my editor in the first book than in the second book where... You know, once I had a draft, I gave it to her. Once I had, you know, a draft that I felt I'd done what I could with, I gave it to her. But still the process of writing the first draft or of knowing the story was something that I did and I think needed to do on my own before kind of letting, you know, giving giving it over to, to anyone else. Did you take the traditional publishing route of love letters then? Um, yes, I did. Did. What What was that like? I know, I know that's a broad question, but I know you go through this sort of process of snipping things away and changing things with your editor. With a book that was so personal, was that sometimes difficult when editors wanted to change things? Um, it certainly was difficult sometimes, although I think my editor was 
she was a great match for the book and for me. And she's, you know, I have tons of respect for her. She's very smart and also very sensitive. Um, so really, I think more than anything, there are sure, certainly plenty of times when she'd edit and I would read and say, what do you mean you want to cut this? No. Or like, how could you, you know, you kind of just get used to that process after a while and you realize you're going to feel that way at first and then you're going to go back and you're going to sort of negotiate with yourself and maybe you're going to see that they were right after all or else you're going to see that there was some other sort of a third option, you know, maybe you don't agree with exactly what they suggested, but you can always look at something again and you can usually find a way to make it better. Um, yeah. But I think she actually really helped me um, to, to confront certain things in the story that I hadn't on my own or that I'd been kind of avoiding on my own. It was my editor, like the idea of Laurel being angry and what she was doing with that anger um, was something that, I think she pointed out to me and she kept saying, but wouldn't Laurel be mad? And I was like, yeah, I guess she would. <laughs> I guess I have to think about why I was avoiding um, sort of that emotion in general and, and why Laurel might be avoiding it. And so I think in the end, really, she helped me kind of go deeper. Yeah. I think you have to sort of trust that your editors often know what's best in terms of what readers want to be reading but it, yeah. it's nice that your yeah. editor knew what needed to be kept sacred in your book yeah exactly and I think that you know when you think of it from a commercial standpoint or like oh change this because we want it to be better for this market then you can feel really defensive as an author and I think I would feel really defensive yeah. in that way but when it's kind of you know approaching it from what the story might need and what might be invisible to you that they can kind of open your eyes to and that you can begin to explore, then it can be like an, a, an experience that feels authentic to the story. Yeah. If you and your editor are on the same page in terms of what target reader you're looking at, then their suggestions are like fine. But if they're like completely trying to move your book to another market that you never had in your head or a different purpose, then I think you're within your right to get a bit on your high horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily I haven't. Luckily I haven't gone through that experience. <laughs> How long did it take you to finish the, the final draft of Love Letters? <laughs> Sorry, uh, I have a cold. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I had been working on it for about, um, gosh, how long was it? I always, I get asked this question. I'm always losing track of the years, like, play together. I think it was, like, three years uh, that I worked on the book. Not necessarily straight through the whole time, but between when I started writing it to, like, when we, when I finished the final draft with my editor, it was about three years. Wow. Yeah. That must have been incredibly rewarding to watch it be so enjoyed, though. Yeah, books are things that you know you have to you have to want to live with them for a while. Although I know some authors, my friends, um, I don't know if you know Jennifer Niven. She wrote the um, yeah, brilliant books. Yeah, brilliant. She told me she wrote Holding Up the Universe, her second book. She was like, yeah, you know, I like 
was having trouble writing and I was having trouble like finding space to sit down and then I just did it and I was like oh that's so amazing like how long did it take and I think she told me it took her like three months or something I was like what God like how did you possibly do that it's incredible I haven't read that one but um I read all the bright places and I, yeah. I actually recommend your book to people that have read it and liked it because I think they're uh-huh. on like equal yeah. playing field and making you cry basically, but really <laughs> poetically. <laughs> I think it's okay if authors make me cry as long as the book's good. <laughs> I agree. I enjoy I enjoy some uh, some tears with my reading quite often. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm quite brutal as well. It normally takes me quite a bit to cry but uh, I definitely cried at both Love Letters to the Dead and <laughs> All the Bright Places <laughs> that must be such an odd feeling of pride like yes I got emotions out of people but I made them cry and I should not be happy about that <laughs> I'm like oh I someone's like it made me cry I'm like uh, thank you sorry I don't know <laughs> a, bl- a blend of the two <laughs> yeah. yeah, it must be a weird one. In an age that is very social media heavy, do you think you've found it quite difficult to promote yourself? Oh, that's a good question. A little bit. Um, I'm like, I'm a pretty private person in general, I think. I don't... Yeah, I think that's what's difficult for people because being very uh, assertive online is sort of forced on you when you do any kind of art now. Yeah. You know, in the one hand, I overall, I think it's a great thing, and I wouldn't give it up um, just because I love the opportunity to interact with readers, and I've gotten so many, you know, incredible messages on Twitter or Facebook or, you know, emails from my website, and I love that, you know, that I can write back to people and that I can just that I can interact with readers. It's like, yeah, you know, it's a real gift and all each of those messages feels like, like a real gift. So I don't like take it for granted or, um, really I don't have any, I don't have any, um, regrets about using it. But in terms of like, you know, this kind of pressure to sort of create an image or to, well, you should, you know, (laughs) tweet about it. I don't know. It's just, it's not really my most natural mode, I guess, of interacting. I tend to, like, just be I'm more of an introverted person um, and more kind of, yeah. yeah, just private in my life. So so balancing that can be a little bit of a challenge. I was thinking, um, when I was talking to my mom about doing this podcast, like, I'm so sad. After every episode, I was ringing my mom, like, it went really well, and telling her about it. Yeah. And she's like... <laughs> It's so weird the age that you live in because books I read from your age, and when when she was my age, she would never tell the author that she liked the books. She certainly wouldn't get on Skype and talk to them for an hour about how much they liked it and ask them questions and stuff. And she was like, "It's social media definitely comes with a lot of baggage, probably more baggage than any other anything." Yeah, <laughs> but, it's true. but it's an incredible yeah. thing as well. It's incredible, and sometimes it's dangerous. We can see it, you know, in a lot of different forms, I yeah. guess. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, the authors of the books 
that I loved when I were, was young were these, you know, <laughs> I didn't know anything about the authors, I guess. I just knew no, the No, they used to be just names on the cover, didn't they? Yeah, so. and it was really the book itself. And that, I guess that's an interesting thing, you know, that, like, now that we can much, we have much more access to, you know, even for me as a reader, now that we have more access to sort of the authors of the books we love and to kind of getting to see at least a tiny little glimpse of who they are or who they might seem, you know, be in this certain space, it kind of attaches a personality to the work of art versus just having the book by itself. Yeah. I mean, I think overall the ability to interact is wonderful and it's important and it ties people together from, you know, all kinds of different places and, and, you know, all across the world. And that's a beautiful thing. So I think overall it is good, but it's also is interesting to think about how that affects your, you know, <laughs> your relationship to a work of art. These days, like with your experience, were there, was there pressure from your publishing group to maximize your social presence? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't, well, I mean, I don't say pressure in the negative sense. They weren't, you know, bullied about it or anything like that. But definitely as the first time author, they ask you to try to get involved in social media because that's a lot of how, especially for young adult audiences, I think that's a lot of how they try to promote the books. Um, and as a first time author, you want to do whatever you can, you know, to be helpful and to try to get your book in front of, yeah. readers there's no guarantee um that in, that anyone will find it so so yeah definitely i made a twitter i made my twitter account for that reason that it wasn't something i really did much of before did you promote yourself in other ways like doing any book signings or things like that um yes i did i did get to do some traveling um around the country when the book came out to um different bookstores and schools and that was and before it came out i got to travel and meet some like booksellers and bloggers in different cities and that was like so wonderful and also since it's come out i've gotten to travel to um internationally a little bit as well to argentina and Mexico and Brazil, and those have all been, like, incredible, <laughs> incredible experiences. Yeah. I wrap up all of my interviews with this. Um, what books would you recommend? Basically, I used to say, what five books um, have stayed with you through your life and have influenced you and stuff, and people used to feel massively under pressure with it. They were like, five books? <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you didn't ask that. And people always <laughs> cheat and say a series, and I'm like, no. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> we've already I, said one. We've got all the right places. For me, the books that I finished most recently that come to mind. Yeah. But I would, so I would say, um, I what I mentioned before, Jennifer Nevin's book, Holding Up the Universe, is really lovely, and um, I highly recommend that. And um, another Brooklyn by Jacqueline Woodson, who um, was a young adult author, and this was um, one uh, an adult book, and although dealing with 
um, teenage girls and the friend, like the friendship between four girls. And it is just so beautiful, so beautifully written. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't recommend that <laughs> enough. Um, the, um, Naples series by Elena Ferrante, the Italian writer, um, has been one of my favorite sort of reading experiences, I think, in the last couple of years. Uh, that was really, um, affecting for me. Yeah. Um, right now I'm reading Swing Time by Zadie Smith and I, I'm adoring it. I'm not done yet, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. They sound like some good recommendations. I haven't heard of the um, the series by the Italian writer. I'll have to give it a Google. Oh, I bet you, yeah, you should. I bet you'd love it. It's, um, it's like epic. <laughs> it's like one of the best things written about female friendship, I think, that at least that I've read. Oh, that, that, that was a weird noise. It <laughs> sounds really cool. I'll give it a little research in a bit. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast today and good luck with your second book. I hope you managed to actually um, decide on a title that you're okay with. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I know that I can't even like really talk about it properly yet. I have to come up with this. <laughs> Uh, I'll I'll look out for it. But thank you very much. Thank you. Well, again. enjoy your evening and thank you so much. It was so lovely to talk to you. And you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Beth's Bookshelf podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Ada as much as I liked recording it. Make sure you check the description to find out where you can order Love Letters to the Dead and where you can follow Ava for updates on her writing. I also have my Goodreads linked below so that you can track what I'm reading and a guest list for my podcast will be up on my blog soon and that will be down below too. So thank you again for listening and I'll be back next Sunday with another episode. Thanks again. Bye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 